Welcome to the Living Faith Missionary Church Podcast. You're about to listen to a message from Pastor Chris Starn, Senior Pastor at Living Faith in Yoder, Indiana. It is our prayer that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, I hope you do, turn to uh, Isaiah 23. This morning we're going to look at the last oracle that Isaiah is presenting to the nations. Now, if you were here last week or if you listened to the sermon, you, you know that I mentioned that, you know, we know that Isaiah did not go to all these places. He actually was saying these things to Judah. These oracles are not necessarily to warn the people of those nations that they better shape up or God's going to take care of them. But actually, it's to warn Judah that these nations that you're turning to, that you're trusting in, these things that you're trusting in will not save you. And we started this section on the oracles. The first one we started in was in Babylon, all the way in the east. You can see it on the far right-hand side of this map. And today, in chapter 23, what we're going to do, we're going to find ourselves in the city of Tyre. And you can see Tyre all the way over, almost on the left, all the way except for the sea is there, on the left. So we are now have covered the whole area of the Middle East, of the what's called the Levant or the Fertile Crescent. It's interesting because Babylon and Tyre are actually almost like bookends, almost like bookends at the end of a bookshelf holding the books together. Babylon and Tyre um, definitely represent human society. We can find, amidst amongst all the different oracles that Isaiah was giving, we can find truths in there for us today. We can see our society in both of those. And I think even especially today, as we look at Tyre and Sidon, I, I think we, I, I, at least I see our society today. Babylon was a, was a land power. It had taken over, ultimately will take over this whole area. They were ruthless, they were a political power, and militarily they were very strong. But their strength could not keep them from being judged by God. Tyre, the city on the coast, was a sea power. They were known as merchants, commercially strong, successful. Tyre would use economics and materialism to seduce the nations around them. Sound familiar? I see us today in that, our society today in that, in both of those. But see, even their good business practices, and I use that term loosely of good, their business practices could not save them. See, here's the thing. What matters today, just like today, and what mattered then, what matters today to, in, the, in the kingdom of man does not matter in the kingdom of God. Rich, poor, powerful, weak, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Man looks at money, he looks at power, he looks at ego, he looks at pleasure. See, all these things belong in what, in what we call time. They belong here in this world, but they do not have a place in eternity. They each represent our brilliant 
costly, heroic, and very, very empty world. So let's go to Isaiah 23 and begin looking at this oracle, this prophecy concerning Tyre. It says in verse 1, it says, The oracle concerning Tyre, Wail, O ships of Tarshish, for Tyre is laid waste without house or harbor. From the land of Cyprus it is revealed to them. Now, in the ancient Near East, Tyre was the center of world commerce. Located, as we saw, on, on the shore of, of Phoenicia. Phoenicians were the sea peoples located on the shore here. Over here, by there you can see Sid on the Tyre right above door. You could see where all the different places they would go. They had a, a harbor. It was a very important harbor. Not only to the Mediterranean Sea, but also to all the way over into the Fertile Crescent, over into the area of modern-day Iraq. This was the port of entry and the port of exit for goods. If you, if you want to know what it's like if a port shuts down, see what's happening in China. They shut a port down and what happens to the world? Same thing here. As long as Tyre and Sidon were, were prosperous, were open, commerce flowed and things were good. So Tyre is a good place for God to begin to pass judgment during this time. The city itself was actually made up of two cities. You had the city on the mainland, and then there was an island out. And the island was, you can see the port of Sidon. This is, this is, uh, this is actually uh, the island out here. So it, it was pretty well protected, kind of difficult to attack from land. It ultimately does get attacked from land. I might talk about that a little bit later. But, um, but it was actually two cities. And what would happen is Tyre would, would send out boats and they would set up colonies all over the Mediterranean Sea to basically make money, foster commerce. Why do you think people came to the United States the first time or to this, this continent or this part of the world? Money. Trapping. Originally, the French came to trap, to make money. Commerce makes many things happen. We know that they set up the, the, the city of Carthage, which is in north or in northwestern Africa. Uh, that was a colony of Tyre. Carthage would later become famous because if you've ever heard of Hannibal and his elephants, they were from Carthage, from North Africa. They became a thorn in the side of the Romans. This was a colony that was a, a trading colony set up by Tyre. We also think that Tarshish, which was in Spain, was also a colony set up by Tyre. I just, I'm giving you these things because you, you, you need to see, as you're reading Scripture, you, you want to find out where these places are. You get a, a better idea. You get a fuller idea of what's going on. But ships that were full of goods uh, would come and go from Tyre. They, they, would, they would come in with goods, and then they would go out with goods. And they'd f travel all over and they were paid very handsomely for the shipping that was done. 
for carrying the products of all the merchants throughout the Mediterranean Sea. And these rich merchants of Tyre were very important to the welfare of the city. If a city doesn't have businesses, there, there's, there's some issues. It's going to have some problems. Ships traveling from Tarshish would actually make a stop in Cyprus. That was the last place they would stop on their way in. They would stop there, and then they would head on to Tyre. And it's that spot where they will be realizing that things aren't always as they have been before. As they come out of the port in Cyprus and can see the city. In verse 2, it says, Be still, O inhabitants of the coast. The merchants of Sidon who crossed the sea have filled you. And on many waters your revenue was the grain of Shehor, the harvest of the Nile. You were the merchant of the nations. Be ashamed, O Sidon, for the sea has spoken. The stronghold of the sea, saying, I have neither labored nor given birth. I have neither reared young men nor brought up young women. Now, I want you to imagine, if you've ever, ever watched the History Channel, and you've ever seen a market, a Middle Eastern market. It's, it's not like going to, you know, going to Ginger Fresh or going to Kroger. You, know, you, don't, you don't sit there in Kroger and, and haggle over the price of an apple. They'll look at you pretty funny and probably sooner or later tell you you've got to leave. But in the markets of the Middle East, it's, it's, a, it's a boisterous place. There's people yelling their, their wares and trying to get people's attention. There's people going around trying to sell, you know, merchants who don't have booze that are trying to sell little trinkets. And there's also a lot of, like I said, a lot of haggling going on. And all of a sudden, as we see here in verse 2, says, be still. Stop. Now, could you imagine a market that is just roaring with life all of a sudden being told, stop? And why are they told to stop and be still? Because the message of doom for Tyre and Sidon is going to completely destroy their whole business. It's going to destroy everything. Now, Sidon was the second commercial city in this, um, in this area. It was just a little farther north than Tyre. And, and both of those are just a little bit south of modern-day Beirut, Beirut in uh, Lebanon. And what it did mostly, what it was most famous for, was it dealt with goods from Egypt, especially grain. Egypt was the breadbasket. Kind of like, you know, we are kind of like the bread basket, but there are other places. Ukraine is a, a bread basket. Parts of Europe. That's why they're trying to get, get grain out of the Ukraine right now, because even if it's only 20% of what the world needs, that's a lot of people starving because they have no wheat. But Egypt was the place. It was the area of the strongest, the largest amount of wheat being grown, and it would be shipped up to Sidon and travel out throughout the Mediterranean. And what we see in this our oracle is we see the sea being, it's, it's, it's like it's being compared to a woman who is barren, a woman who cannot have children, and she's suffering humiliation because she has no offspring. 
And that is the humiliation that Tyre and Sidon are going to suffer. The merchant ships that from these two cities are no longer going to sail and pay homage to the sea and to the cities. And all the waters around them are going to be still. No ships going in in and out. Verse 5 says, And when the report comes to Egypt, they will be in anguish over the report from Tyre. The destruction of these two cities is going to cause Egypt, it caused Egypt, this is past tense, this did happen, um, it, it caused Egypt a lot of concern. Not just because now their port is destroyed, that they're sending everything out to, but it was the way it was destroyed, because it was destroyed by the Assyrians. And that means that the Assyrians, the enemy of all people, is getting closer and closer to Egypt. Ultimately, the Assyrians will conquer Egypt. Isaiah continues his warnings. He's telling the merchants in Sidon and entire cross over to Tarshish. Wail, O inhabitants of the coast. Is this your exultant city, whose origin is from days of old, whose feet carried her to settle far away? Who has proposed this against Tyre and the bestower of crowns, whose merchants were princes, whose traders were the honored of the earth? The Lord of hosts has proposed it to defile the pompous pride of all glory, to dishonor all the honored of the earth. They thought that they thought that Tyre, this Tyre had been here forever. It's a great city. It's an amazing city. Look how awesome we are. Wretched. They're not awesome in God's eyes. And they're to flee to Tarshish. And like we saw the map, Tarshish is all the way over in Spain. Now, why would they have to flee to Tarshish? Tarshish, we believe, like I said, was a, it was actually a colony of Tyre. So it's very likely he's telling them, go as far away as you can from here. Just go. Leave. We know that the Apostle Paul wanted to get to Tarshish because he believed that at that time the people believed that was the end of the earth. They believed there was nothing much past that except for water. And so, you know, obviously when Jesus says, and you know, you'll be my disciples in Judea, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, Paul took that as meaning that when he told that to the 11 disciples, Paul knew about it. He thought, well, that's, that's it. We've got to go to Tarshish. That's the end of the earth. It's the last known colony. And being a colony of Tyre, it would have been a safe harbor for the merchants of Tyre and Sidon. Now, before its destruction, Tyre was very much a very bustling city of trade. The glory of Tyre was known throughout the nations, around the regions. It was the, it calls, he calls them the bestower of crowns. The merchants of, of Tyre and Sidon were so wealthy and so popular that they would be made governors of the different colonies. They were the bestower of crowns. It's interesting, if you think about this, you think about our country, you think about our presidents, usually the presidents come from either governorship, senators, representatives, sometimes we've, got, we've had presidents who've been 
college professors, college uh, uh, professors, yeah, professors and presidents. I think Donald Trump was the first quote only businessman. You know, I doubt very much if I attempted to run for president, I'd have a very big chance. I don't have power. It's people of power who are made princes of places. Tires, merchants had power. They had financial power. And it's the same way today. You might consider them kings of commerce, not just princes of regions. Now, I don't know about you, but the first question I would ask if I saw this happen is, how did this happen? Who did this? Who destroyed our city, right? Who did it? Who would have the ability to do such a thing? Well, the Assyrians militarily could do it. We know that. They have the power. The Babylonians, when they come to power, they could have done it. We know that Alexander the Great actually destroyed the city in 332 B.C. And what he did was he built a he, he took he tore down all the cities on the main all the all the buildings on the mainland and he built an, a walkway through the water to the island and destroyed it. He said he wanted to worship to one of the one of the temples there and then he slaughtered everybody in the city and did he did he ended up worshiping there and then he ended up going farther south. See, but the reality is, is we could think of all kinds of different people that could done, all kinds of different nations that could have done this. But we also know that it's God. It's God who, in reality, is the source of the destruction of Tyre. And that's something that I truly believe with all my heart. If the United States ever faces, and I think it's going to, a time when we are destroyed as a nation, it'll be because... God has ordained it. And it is God who's doing it. He's using man to do it, but it's God who does it. I want to go back to Ezekiel. I want to go to Ezekiel and give you an idea of what has been going on. Now, this is at a different time, but it gives you an idea of that the pompous and the pride of the city of Tyre. And, and God tells Ezekiel in Ezekiel 26, he says, Son of man, because Tyre said concerning Jerusalem, Aha, the gate of the peoples is broken. It has swung open to me. I shall be replenished now that she is laid waste. Basically, Tyre said, we're going to take advantage of the fact that Jerusalem is being destroyed. We're going to go in and we're going to get what we want. They're going to loot they're going to loot. It's basically what it is. It says, Therefore, thus say to the Lord God, says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Tyre, and will bring up many nations against you. Well, that was proven true throughout history. As the sea brings up its waves, they shall destroy the walls of Tyre and break down her towers, and I will scrape her soil from her and make her a bare rock. She shall be in the midst of the sea, a place for the spreading of nets, for I have spoken, declares the Lord God, and she shall become plunder for the nations. See, see, the problem is that whenever we as humans see ourselves, when we start examining ourselves and we look at ourselves as a place of greatness, 
we start thinking much higher of ourselves than we should. And what happens, our pride begins to make us rival God. What was Satan's sin? Oh, I'll ascend to the throne of God. He wanted to be God. What was Adam and Eve's sin? Well, you'll be like God. Well, that's a good thing. So they sin. Pride. Pride destroys us. Pride destroys our families. Pride destroys our lives. And what happens is we forget what makes possible the success that we have. So Tyre and Sidon are set up as a warning to all those who might think too highly of themselves and forget it is God who places people in power. It is God who gives all good things. It is God who should be worshipped, not ourselves and not our abilities and our accomplishments. Back to Isaiah, verse 10. Of verse of chapter 23 it says cross over your land like the like the Nile O daughter of Tarshish there is no restraint anymore he has stretched out his hand over the sea he has shaken the kingdoms the Lord has given command concerning Canaan to destroy its strongholds and he said you will no more exalt O oppressed virgin daughter of Sidon arise cross over to Cyprus even there you will have no rest behold the land of the Chaldeans this is the people that was not. Assyria destined it for wild beasts. They erected their siege towers. They stripped her palaces bare. They made her a ruin. Wail, O ships of Tarshish, for your stronghold is laid waste. And in those verses, we know this is talking about Assyria is going to, is going to destroy the city. It'll get rebuilt and destroyed again and rebuilt and destroyed again. This interesting at first... Wow, sentence in there, cross over your land like the Nile. If we, if we actually go back and look at the Septuagint, which is the, the Latin version of the Bible, if we look at some of the manuscripts, what we'll find is what that really says, a better, probably a better definition for it is, till your land like along the Nile. Basically, just destroy everything and till it under, like it was never there. They're told to take up, or, or, in, or you go the other. They're told to take up farming. You've been merchants of the sea. Now you're going to farm, because there'll be no more commerce available on the sea. There would be no more harbors for them to sail to, and to sell their goods. According to mythology, according to actually, actually some of the ancient writings of the Hebrews of the Jews. The, the, the sea was always thought of as a place of turmoil, a place of darkness, a place of the unknown. You, I mean, Beth, Beth will not swim any place where she can't see the bottom. She doesn't want to think about what's in the bottom of the lake. So she doesn't swim any place where she can't see the bottom. It's a place of darkness. Um, the Jews actually believe that's the place where where uh, where hell is. They believe there's a water there's water all around the earth, and that under that is hell. That's the Jewish thought. 
But a lot of the a lot of the pagan nations around there actually believe that there's a sea god who had tremendous and terrible powers that was the threat to, threat to human life. That, and that's why when a storm would come up, remember the story of Jonah? They believed, and Jonah told them to do it, but they believed if they sacrificed something, somebody to the sea god by throwing them overboard, it would appease the god. So they threw Jonah over because he says, I'm, I'm the one. So they threw him overboard. The sea is a frightening place. It's a place of danger. If you don't know what you're doing, it'll kill you. It'll, it'll just, there are ships that have disappeared. And I know, the Bermuda Triangle. No, I'm not talking about the Bermuda Triangle. There are ships that have disappeared and, and never been found. People, ships floating around where there's nobody on it. It's a dangerous place. So the people worship and try to attempt to appease this sea god. The Phoenician god was known as Wham. Or Yam, actually, not Wham. Um, that's a 80s rock band, but Wham. And it was thought that it was some kind of form of animal. And if we go to Scripture, if we go to, you'll see, and in, in actually in Job 3.8 and other places, that Scripture talks about Leviathan, which is a, was a huge creature that God created. Now, the question is, was it real, or was it just, is this just a, 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 an image that God's trying to show us and showing that he, God created chaos? And out of that chaos, he created non-chaos. But Leviathan was this creature, this, and Rahab is another word for it in, in the book of Psalms. And, and, and that's what they thought caused the ocean to churn. But the sea is a very frightening place and would punish people for their evil deeds. The nations of the Mediterranean would shake because now the sea, it's, it's, they're afraid. They're not going to be able to find a place of rest. They head to Cyprus. They still can't find rest there. They even try to flee further. There's no place they can go. They still find themselves in a very tragic situation because of their pride. You can run, but you'll never run away from your pride if you don't deal with it. You can run, but you never run away from God. You never run away from your sin. David says, if I go to the top of the mountains, you're there. If I go to the deepest oceans, you're there. If I go to the farthest stars, you're there. And then the oracle ends like it began. Or in other words, God's judgment is absolute. But see, God doesn't just destroy. He always has a plan. And if we go to verse 15, here's what it says, And that day Tyre will be forgotten for 70 years. We don't really know when that is. We believe it was uh, probably after the Assyrians because it does get rebuilt. Like the days of one king. At the end of 70 years it will happen to Tyre as in the song of the prostitute. Take up a harp, go about the city, O forgotten prostitute. Make sweet melodies, sing many songs that you may be remembered. At the end of 70 years, the Lord will visit Tyre, and she will return to her. He will, she will return to her wages, and will prostitute herself with all the kingdoms of the world on the face of the earth. They didn't learn their lesson. Her merchandise and her wages will be holy to the Lord. This is interesting. It will not be stored or hoarded, but her merchandise will supply abundant food and fine clothing for those who will dwell before the Lord. So Tyre is going to be forgotten to later be kind of rehabilitated and dedicated to God. Seventy years shouldn't be taken literally. It's the length of the king. 
It's a symbolic prophetic number in Scripture. It's considered the days of one king or the span of a king's lifetime. But this once important city is, is kind of, it's interesting because it's compared to a harlot, to a prostitute, who has lost her attractiveness of youth. And so she has to go out through the city and try to drum up business, carrying a heart. In order to maintain her sordid profession, the greedy and selfish motivation and goals used by the people of business by shady means and ignoring ethics is easily compared to idolatry. Because when you are when you are in business and you are doing things that are not right, you're not treating people right, and, and you're 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 it's idolatry because you're worshiping money and success. First, Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, he says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. <clears throat> and understand that money in itself and the making of money is not a bad thing. It's not evil. And it actually can serve a good purpose. But the problem is is when we make money our idol, when we make money the main thing. It's the love of money that's the root of all kinds of evil. The activities, the profit from its popularity will be dedicated to the Lord, though. When, they, when God restores the city, these, the money will be dedicated to the Lord. No longer will the merchants hold and control, because it says they're not going to hoard it, they're not going to control the prices, of things by hoarding it. That happens today. We don't even realize it. Do you know that the diamond industry is controlled? Why do you think you pay so much for a ring today? Because they control the price. They hoard the diamonds. They don't, they don't put them all on the market. Oil companies do the same thing. They have some oil they know has to get out, but you know, if oil is $10 a barrel and they can't make it, they're not going to sell all their oil. They're not hoarding it. Because, you see, understand that wealth, money is a gift from God. And ultimately, it will go back to the giver, meaning God. It's his. Everything we have is his. It's not mine. This is why we as believers, we must not trust in our riches. We cannot. We have to trust in the Lord only because he is the giver of all good things. So the question we got to ask ourselves is, where does our confidence lie? Does our confidence lie in ourselves? Does our confidence lie in our abilities? Does our confidence lie in our, our retirement accounts? Does our confidence lie in our savings accounts? Or does it lie in the divine promises that God has given us? I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'm coming again. I've built you a mansion. And if I go to do it, you're going to be with me. I promise. In Matthew 15, we, we see Jesus. He's actually in the city of, in the, around the city of Tyre. He's in that area. And he's walking through it in this Greek woman, this Phoenician woman comes up to him. Because the problem was her daughter was demon-possessed and nothing could help her. And she cries for Jesus to help her. 
But he ignores her pleas. And she continues and continues. And the disciples say, send her away. Get rid of her. We don't want to hear her anymore. But she's persistent. And she's right in front of Jesus. And he tells her something which is astonishing. We think, man, that's a pretty cruel thing to say. But he's doing it to test. He tells her that he came... He came for the lost sheep of Israel, basically. And it's not good to take what belongs to the kids, children, and give it to the dogs. Now, people today are in an uproar. I've read, I've read many articles about this, these verses, and people, oh, wow, Jesus called that woman a dog. He's a sexist, misogynist. It's not what he said. He didn't say she was a dog. He was using it as a comparison. And look what she says. She doesn't say, I'm not a dog. How dare you? And get up and leave. She doesn't scream and, and get mad and, you know, standing outside the disciples with a sign saying, Jesus is a, is a woman hater, you know. Whatever a woman is, it'll be today. Whatever your definition of a woman is. Doesn't what she, not what she does. What does she do? She says to Jesus, yeah, but even the dogs get the crumbs from the table. And then Jesus says, this woman has faith. Go home. Your daughter is healed. And he heals her. See, this woman was from Phoenicia. This woman was from Tyre. And she was humble. And you and I, we need to come to Jesus and we need to humble ourselves and by faith put our trust in Him and Him alone. Because He's going to do more than just heal us. Because He's going to heal us from our sins. He's going to heal us from ourselves. He's going to heal us from our doubts. He's going to heal us, heal us from our fear. He's ultimately going to heal us from our sorrow when we're no longer here and we're, we rejoin all those that we've lost. He's going to give us He's going to heal us from death. He's going to give us resurrected bodies that will never die and never have pain and never have sickness. And we will live with him forever in the new heaven and the new earth. Because, see, I think right now we are living in Babylon and Tyre. We are. I see it. Whatever you want to call it, Satan is roaming about this earth and he's trying to find ways to trap us. I see it every day. I see God, uh, I, I pray to him, please God, help, help us not fall for these traps of this world. Whether it's addictions, whether it's, whether it's pride, whether it's you know, anger, wh- whatever it is, there's so many things that Satan wants to trap us with as believers. And, and I'm, I'm sad because we fall for it. And we know the truth and we shouldn't fall for it. But we don't 
humbly go to Christ and say, we need your help. I can't do this alone. You're right. You can't do this alone. Oh, but I thought God, Jesus says that uh, it says in the Bible that God will never give you more than you can handle. That's a lie. He'll give you more than you can handle by yourself, but not more than you can handle with him. But we have to humbly go to him. Satan wants to steal our soul. And, and he, he lures us with the promises of this world. Now, while the world is running around for the in pursuit of worldly commerce, we need to be running to Christ. Now, I'm not saying that we don't need to that we, that we don't need to you know, work and work hard and, and, and supply for our family and plan for the future. No, we need to do those things. But that cannot be our main focus. Because the problem is, if we gain all of that and we lose our soul, what good is it? Our salvation, the salvation of my family, comes first. I'll be honest with you. If my, the salvation of my children and my family starts to suffer because of my position here, I will no longer be a pastor. Now, understand that's not happening. But that's the attitude we need to take. If I'm living in a city and the salvation of my family suffers because of that city, I need to live in a different city. I need to have a different job. I need to have different friends. If they're leading me astray. We have to... We, we, we need to know the blood of Christ. We, 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 we need to know and understand that He shed, He died on the cross for each of us. We have to embrace the resurrection as our hope, our only hope. And we need to trust Him for our salvation and escape this future judgment that's going to occur. And that's awaiting this broken world. That's our number one priority. Yes, we need to work, obviously, but not at the wrong expense. See, and even though you know we're forgiven and we trust in Christ, we've got to be careful of the power of Tyre and Sidon. It is appealing. It's going to try to pull us away. It has power over us. We can't live in our world today without commerce, without money, without making having a job. I was, I'll be honest with you, that's one of the one of the most common things that Brian and I would talk about, how he had nothing. He was on disability. He had no money. And I'm like, man, you got to figure something out here because you, you're, you're supposed to do something. What is it? Has, don't worry about the money. The money will come when it needs to. God provides. He may not provide it to you, but he provides it to everybody around you so that they can be blessed by helping you. That's why I always got mad when he went and let me help him. No, I'm not mad. I got frustrated. Let's put it that way. But see, even if we're forgiven, the power of Tyre and Sidon still influences the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life. Confess it. Wail for it. Be ashamed. Turn away from it. And repent. The Apostle John wrote to us a good warning, a good way for us to look at it. In 1 John 2. It says, Do not love the world 
or the things in the world. He did not say don't use the things in the world. He did not say don't just be apart from the world. Don't even don't even buy anything. You know, he didn't tell us to live like the Amish. There's nothing wrong with living like the Amish. Believe me, that's not what he's saying. He says don't love it. Don't make it first in your life. Don't make it a priority. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. We need to do the will of God. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're watching on YouTube, please like this video as it will help in spreading this message into the global online community. Please consider subscribing to our page so that you will receive notices when we post new messages. If you're watching this on Rumble, please hit the Rumble button for this video so that the gospel can be spread into the Rumble community. Also, consider subscribing to our Rumble channel. You can also listen to our podcast on Amazon Music and Apple Podcasts. We hope you have a blessed day.